In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that we have to remember about the Bible as we have it today is it is an epic story sweeping across thousands of years, being told through the centuries by each generation, and some of them adding a bit here or a little bit more there. Epic is perhaps the best word we have to truly describe it. When we think of epic novels or an epic series of books or movies, one of the characteristic formulas for the telling of a story like that is the number of people sometimes on different paths and different courses, and some of that may make the story seem disjointed until you realize that person A and person B, and maybe even group C and group D, are all working together for the same purpose. Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, the entire Star Wars movie genre, or at least the bits of it that I've seen by George Lucas, all display some sense that the story is larger than just one person doing one thing at one particular time. Rather, there is a clear working out of the purposes of the people and of the tribes involved. And once we reach the end, everything comes clear. This is part of what makes engaging with Holy Scripture so invigorating. The epic painting of a story told over millennia, putting together various bits and pieces of that story, is what helps us understand the primary thrust of the Bible, that this is God's story as seen acted out beginning with creation, and then the life of Abraham, and the life of the nation of Israel, and the life of Jesus, and eventually the spread of the gospel. Just as the epic has all the various characters who eventually, bring to, uh, eventually brings everything together, so too the epic of Scripture begins to converge, ending in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord, and the aftermath of the spreading of this good news a part of the epic in which we have our own place. So, to get us on the right footing, we start today with a key phrase that will be uttered over and over again through the sacred text. And it is found in our passage from Genesis. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The story of God is rooted in the redemption of the world, following the fall of Adam. Everything points to the redemption of all things, the redemption of the world, the universe, us as humankind as well. That's the epic story. Once, particularly after the Babylonian exile, once the Jewish leaders and prophets understood this key phrase from the Torah, that all the families, the nations of the world, would be blessed by Abraham's offspring, by their faithfulness to Torah, we begin to see their understanding grow. Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the nation of Israel being a light to enlighten the nations, 
and how the temple will become a house of prayer for all people. Jeremiah promises a new covenant written not on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of those who love God. Ezekiel understands that the new temple will not just be a place of worship in one city, in Jerusalem, but that the glory of the temple will fill the entire earth, coast to coast. And Daniel talks about the one who appears like the Son of Man, judging the nations, acting on the behalf of Yahweh. This is what they understood to be the story of God working themselves out through them. But all of this is understood to occur only after the restoration of Israel as a nation, only after the rebuilding of the temple was complete, and only after the name of God the vision seen in Malachi of God suddenly coming into his temple would be fulfilled. Two out of three had occurred. But that display of God's presence, the theophany of God's name coming to rest once again in the temple had not occurred. God was not dwelling. God was not tabernacling with his chosen people. This is now where we need to jump several hundreds of years forwards. And we come to the Gospel of Matthew and our reading for today. St. Matthew is pointing us to three stories told of Israel's past and Israel's future hope in quick succession. Redemption, healing, and restoration. This is the story of Israel retold but with an added twist. Let's start with the calling of St. Matthew, the tax collector. For anybody living in his day, Matthew was a sellout. Matthew had colluded with the enemy, and it just dawned on me that the tax collector is sitting right there. Uh, Marcy, you're not a sellout, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what happens when you have county officials in your services. But Matthew, for his day and age, was indeed a sellout. Matthew had colluded with the enemy. He was collecting money from his own people to give to Rome, the enemy occupier. If Matthew was like most tax collectors of his day, he took a very generous cut, paying Rome their due, but also exploiting his position to take care of himself. This collusion with the enemy is always what got Israel into trouble from the beginning. The taking of Moabite wives in Numbers, the adoption of Canaanite gods in Joshua, the worship of Baal in the books of the kings, bowing down before idols in Babylon. Here was Matthew, a Jew, a member of the community, dealing in Roman coin, which would have had the impression of the emperor on it with the inscription, the Son of God, minted into it. Idol worship, once again. But what happens? Jesus comes, and Matthew turns from his tax booth, from his greed and avarice, to follow this teacher. Let's leave Matthew's story there for the time being and now turn to the woman with the hemorrhages. 
In the ancient world, blood was seen to contain the life force of the creatures through which it flowed. That is one of the reasons why there is a restriction in Jewish dietary laws that one could not eat the blood or cook an animal in its blood. No blood sausage if you eat that, if you happen to be one of those who eats that. This woman has been bleeding and her life has been diminishing for the last 12 years. And ritually, this would make her unclean would render her unable to participate in the life of a Jew and all that it means, both socially and religiously. The gospel is rather specific and gives us a signpost about this woman. She had been bleeding for 12 years. What is one of the things that comes to mind when we mention the number 12 in the sacred story? There are 12 tribes of Israel. This woman is a representation of all of Israel and in a very poignant way. Israel, bleeding and losing its life, being unclean by having the pagan Roman occupiers in the land, unable to help itself and unable to make itself ritually clean before God again. The hemorrhaging of blood is the losing of Israel's life. But her faith in just touching Jesus, getting close enough to grasp the hem of his garment, is enough to heal her. Well, let's stop there also for a moment and find our third story within this longer or larger story. And to do that, we move beside the bedside of a dead girl. We don't know much about the girl other than her father is a leader of the synagogue, a place where learning and debate wholly founded on the teaching of Torah, the Jewish sacred texts, and we know that the girl has died. Yet something remarkable happens. Jesus takes her by the hand. Jesus touches that which is dead and brings it back to life. New life, a new beginning, a life that can now grow just as children grow into adults. And it's given to this girl because of the faith of her father. Remember the father's plea, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, I have intentionally left something out because I wanted you to have this imprint in your mind about Matthew, the woman, and the little girl. Each of these three is a symbol of Israel. But more importantly, there is a linking of these three around the character of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God incarnate. And I need you to think back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. When he tells Joseph what to name this child, and that by naming him this, the prophecy will be fulfilled. Jesus, which incidentally means Yahweh saves, is the long-awaited Emmanuel that Isaiah had promised. Hebrew, or uh, excuse me, Emmanuel is Hebrew for God is with 
us. God is with Israel once again. God has come again to tabernacle with his people, to dwell among them, and to dwell with them in Jesus. Now when the story of redemption, healing, and restoration as God has done time and time again with, Matthew, or with Israel, Matthew gives us these three stories in quick order. The calling of Matthew away from the pagan government is the redemption of Israel at work in Matthew. Jesus calling Matthew to follow him means to turn away from all the pagan idols like Israel was called to do time and time again and to stop handling pagan and idolatrous money that bore the image of a deified Caesar. Redemption from not only foreign powers, but redemption from idols. The woman being healed was not just about an inconvenience that afflicted her, but points to Israel, who has been losing its life again and again, bleeding constantly and being ritually unclean, unable to help itself as a conquered nation. And what healed her? Faith and touch. The woman touched Emmanuel, touched the tabernacling God with us, and was healed of all her disease, of all her ailments, and dare we say, all her sins. Jesus, as God the Son, is dwelling with Israel, healing the sick, forgiving sins as a disease that has afflicted them, and calling out to Israel that faith in God, faith in Jesus, will be that which heals and saves them. Finally, the little girl who has died is the hope of Israel, the restoration of all things. That which is dead is brought back to life in Jesus. God has come to give new life, new creation, new hope to the people of Israel. Lay your hand on her invokes the image of God leading his people with an outstretched arm like Moses at the Red Sea, delivering his people from certain death. Jesus has reached out his arm, touched her. God has restored this little girl back to Israel. And part of what we are to see is that God is doing this for all of Israel, for all of those who are dead, to bring them new life and restoration. And lastly, what we on this side of the story must always remember is that echo from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel. What God is doing now in Jesus for Israel, God will do for all the nations of the world. God is ushering in his new creation through redemption, healing, restoration, and we might even add resurrection. Israel is becoming that light to enlighten the nations. The Abrahamic promise of all the nations of the world being blessed by Abraham's seed is coming true in Jesus' ministry. Israel is being restored and redeemed to finally fulfill her true intended purpose. 
And now God has come to dwell again with his people, not in the temple, glorious though it was, but in the temple of a human body, in the person of Jesus. And the word was made flesh and tabernacled and dwelt with us. In Jesus, all of the promises of the story of God are fulfilled. Because God kept his promise to Abraham, to Moses, to all the patriarchs and prophets, then we, too, know that God will keep his promises to us. God never failed Israel. And God has never failed us. We, too, can hope and put our trust our faith in God's promises, enacted by Jesus, that we also are being redeemed, healed, restored, and resurrected to new and unending life in Him. If that is the case, then the promise of Abraham, of all the nations being blessed, continues in us in the church as sons and daughters of Abraham through faith in Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.